Hello, Reading Women World. This is Samuel. Hi, this voice is Josh, and I go with Autumn. <laughs> oh, don't do this. <laughs> We're just naturally awkward. normal. <laughs> this is normal. Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by reading books by or about women. So yeah, hi Autumn, how's it going? I'm doing great. Should we say that this is the first time we've ever recorded in the same room before? You know, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are on episode 66.5, and we've never recorded in the same room, so. Yeah, that's true. Plus all those interviews. Plus all those interviews, so pretty crazy. But it is our birthday... So we are here for, to celebrate our birthday for Reading Women Month starting June 1st. Yes, and we are going to have a lot of fun stuff happening, including but not limited to, we're going to have a bingo board for the first time yes. ever. We usually do a photo a day challenge, and this year we decided to switch it up a bit and do a bingo board. So that will be coming out probably the day this episode comes out. Yes, there will be a link in the show notes to everything we talk about today regarding Reading Women Month, so you can go check all of that out in one place. We also have a special merch campaign coming out. Yes, and I have been working on this for the last couple of months. We are partnering with Bonfire to do a special limited edition t-shirt that features our tagline. So the link will be going up for that soon. It's going to be a 21-day campaign, so it is not going to start immediately on June 1st, but we will definitely be keeping you posted on when that promotion goes live. So you can follow us on social media at The Reading Woman or subscribe to our newsletter to be the first ones to know when that link goes live so you can get a t-shirt of your very own. Uh, But today we have something a little special for you. As you know, every fifth Wednesday, we do something a little different here on Reading Woman. And today, for the first time, we have a couple dudes on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so since it is our birthday and we haven't done a introduction in a long time and we have many new listeners, we decided to have our spouses on today to have them talk to us about the podcast. So welcome. Hi, this is Samuel. I'm Kendra's husband. Excited to be here. Thank you all for listening. Uh, This is going to be fun. And I'm Josh. I am married to Autumn, and I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right, so we thought we would have them on today to talk to us about the podcast, also from their perspective, because they are our number one patrons. They get to hear everything about the podcast every day. (laughs) So uh, we thought it would be interesting to hear a little bit from their perspective, but also have them uh, ask us a few questions to introduce a few things to you all. So take it away, guys. So what kind of motivated you guys to even start the whole project of Reading Women to begin with? And and why a podcast for that matter? So I am a huge podcast junkie. And I think it was my idea first. It was a joke, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Isn't that so funny? Like, podcasting. But then, to back up from that, so Kendra and I met in grad school, and we had all these literary classes together, and we were only reading Dead White Men. And I remember at one point talking to Kendra and saying, where, like, oh, we read Donna Tartt. And Mm -hmm. I was like... 
why wasn't Donna Tartt taught in our grad school classes? Like, are there other women like this writing big literary novels? And if so, like, why don't we know about them? So it started out as a personal project. And then it, yeah, because we were buddy reading a lot of books at the time. We read Salvage the Bones and Donna yeah. Tartt. And basically, you know, Autumn's like podcasting at the time. I think Serial was really big. It was... Yes, it was and, around that time. And oh, is this when Serial was coming yeah. out? Okay. And then everyone discovered what podcasting was. Yeah, that, that kind of was my introduction to podcasts. <laughs> Going into work every day and everyone's like, did he do it? Did he do it? <laughs> yeah, and we were always tag-teaming in book club. And so it was kind of a joke about, you know, the Kendra and Autumn show. We could have a podcast. And then at the beginning of the year, I turned in a big project that I was working on. I was like, oh, we could do a podcast. I was like, yeah. So we started thinking about it. And then in March, we started planning it. So did you expect to kind of get the positive response that you did? Or was this just more like, oh, we're going to do this and have fun, and it'll be a kind of a side hobby? Or Well, I would say it took at least a year for us to even get a sizable number of downloads and actually start to grow an audience. And I think that that's one common misconception people have about the internet is like, oh, if I do something, I'll immediately be really famous and popular. Um, And rich. And rich. Um, (laughs) So it took, so we just did it really for about a year, not really knowing what people thought about it with, without any reviews on iTunes I mean, it was with very, very little feedback. And then about the second year, we started to get some yeah. really positive feedback. And that was encouraging at that point. Yeah, it was. And I think I think it was good because it also gave us time to actually n- know at least a little bit better what we were doing. Yeah. Because neither of us had done anything with audio recording. Um, I'd done manuscript editing, but that did translate well to podcast editing. But it was a different medium, different platform. And figuring out the story. Stupid RSS feed and iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because we didn't use a third party that did it all for us. We did it all manually because we basically started with, like, zero funding. And so everything was out of pocket. So, like, well, we can save money. We'll spend yeah. 10 hours trying to figure out how to get it into iTunes. <laughs> I remember those frustrations. <laughs> but I also think that, that those origins were, you know, they, they planted the seeds for a lot of what the... Um, reading women kind of like identity would become because, you know, Autumn was taking her graphic design experience and saying like, okay, let's create an image here. Um, You two were brainstorming about like, how can we have like a a cool tagline? And then getting friends to help with things like the intro music. It was just kind of a crowdsourcing thing. And I think it created something Probably because you didn't, you had to do it yourself, yeah. and it, it it became what it was because of that. Even though it was really, really hard at the beginning, yeah. and definitely took time because yeah. you may have noticed this is the third version of our theme song um, <laughs> because you know you're we let ourselves be imperfect. Like we're always trying to make the podcast better, but we also try not to stress about things that we would like to do, but we can't don't have the resources to do at the moment. So we try to focus on something, work on that get it to where we like it, and then move on to the next thing we would like to do. Our logo is a good example. We had an original logo, and then we updated it. So, uh, yeah, especially after the first year, I essentially went from freelancing, and then more and more of my freelance hours just went to reading women. until, And so that way we had more woman hours to be able to do more things, to do author interviews, stuff like that. Is that when you guys realized... 
about year one, that it was more than a hobby, or how do you think about the podcast, or when did you start thinking about the podcast as more than a pet project that was like, oh, we can do a podcast. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was like, this this is snowballing into something much larger than we had maybe imagined at the beginning. I don't know. Well, we've always taken it very seriously, mm-hmm. um, just because we feel like the mission of supporting women's voices has always—it's that's never been that part of it's never been a hobby. So I think we've taken it seriously from day one. But I would say as it grew, about a year and a half in, that was when we started realizing that it needed more full-time hours in a week to make it successful and to make it work. Yeah. And I think, you know, me switching over gave us an ability to do that. And that's why, you know, for example, we have a weird numbering system, but that's because we did author interviews as we had the time to do them. And we didn't want to commit to doing one every week. And actually, this is the first year we've ever committed to doing an author interview every week that we don't have a podcast. We just, you know, haven't had the resources or time before. But now that we do, now that we're with Lit Hub Radio and and have more things like that, it's nice to be able to include more women authors because there's always more women we would love to talk to on the podcast. So as you've gotten more popular, have you noticed, like, any kickback like against people being like oh you just talk about women you're not actually serious about literature you're only talking about women who write you know anything like that i remember the first negative twitter comment we got and it was a guy who said you girls seem cute and pretty why can't you find husbands i remember that too i was (laughs) i was confused as to what my status was (laughs) and we were like um well, I mean, we didn't reply, but I remember texting Kendra and being like, but that's not what? what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in the beginning we got a bit, a little more pushback. Um, the weird thing we get, I think, is, well, people will comment and say, I don't like every book that they recommend, but I don't think people realize that that's not the purpose. We don't have a singular reader in mind. We actually try to recommend books for a wide range of readers and tastes. So we don't expect a single person to like every book that we recommend, but we hope that, you know, we're not catering to just one taste. We're trying to give resources across the board, and that's also why we included more contributors as well. Yeah, because Kendra and I do overlap in taste more or less most of the time. Mm But we do differ in our what we like. And then, as you just said, like having contributors also brings another perspective because they enjoy books that may not be my favorite, but they've also introduced us to books that are now new favorites of ours. So it's just, it's a team effort for sure. Yeah. I still just really cannot wrap my mind around truly the pushback to like, I don't like this book. I don't like a lot of things, and yet I still read them or eat them or do them <laughs> or participate in them. And I guess it's just part of this I only read books that I like mentality that just I have a hard time just understanding that. But at the same time, I also kind of understand it because books take time to read. And if, you, you, if you're like, I only read things that make me feel bad, and that might not be kind of the form of entertainment or something you want. But I just wrestle with this because a lot of things I read, I don't like what I read in them or I have serious problems with something. And yet I still, you know, 
try to appreciate the the writing process that goes into it and probably thinking about, okay, why don't I like this or something? But that's just me. Well, I think I, it depends on why you read. Yeah. Like what motivates yeah. your reading? Are you strictly doing this because it's entertaining? Right. Uh, which is totally fine. Sure. Or is this something where you're actually studying the art behind the writing? Um, I mean, or somewhere do, in between there. Yeah. yeah. People do the same thing with movies, you know? Like right, yeah. a filmmaker's going to watch a movie differently than I would. I just want to be entertained, and he's going to be looking at every screenshot and analyzing why did they cut it this way. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, you know, Josh, you're an academic, you're studying reading as your like your job and so i think also your perspective is that well i need to be able to analyze this and maybe possibly teach it to my students so i need to read this yeah regardless how maybe i feel about that person that wrote it and most people we talk to on the book turnout are mostly reading for entertainment or for fun it's not really part of their job and so if they're not enjoying themselves then they're not having that escape or that hobby as, as they would like, because that's kind of like their de-stressor. I think that totally makes sense. I really do. I, that's what I was trying to say. Like, I, I both kind of scratch my head at that, you know, kind of resistance, but I also understand it. And for the record, I'd love to read for fun one day. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to me reading for entertainment. Where did you go? Here. I think, too, it makes sense. Like, sometimes you just have to read something that's not necessarily, like, your jam in order to expand what you are able to read for fun. Yeah. Like, just because you don't like it now doesn't mean that you can't learn to like something that you've never read. Like, I read a ton of Westerns as a 16-year-old. and Bless you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but, like, you still have to, like, grow not past that, but you have to, like, add to what you can read for entertainment. Well, and that's, like, before the podcast, I'd never read a graphic novel before. And the first graphic novel that I read was very tedious, and it was just hard because I was like, I don't know how to read this. Do I look at the pictures? Do I read the words? Do I do both? Do I go through it once? Do I go through it twice? Like, that only took an hour. Is that too fast? And so it was very time-consuming and not a lot of fun. But since then, I've read a lot more, and every time I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great, like, it's kind of like riding a bike or something. Like the more yeah. you do it, the easier it gets. I think the one for me is romance. Um, Agatha has done a great job of introducing me to great new romance novels, um, but I also found literary romance, which is my jam. So, which is basically like Lisa Cross Smith, and it's basically a hybrid of, of things. And I really enjoy that kind of of novel because it's like, okay, I just need to know that there's goodness in this world. Yeah. Um, how about I read this? Uh, but uh, I think trying different things, you might realize there's a whole type of genre or subgenre that you never knew that was your new favorite. Um, and, and that's kind of the point of the Reading Women Challenge in particular, is to expand people's reading lives and introduce them to things that they may or may not like. You know, you try a play, you may not like reading plays, but you've done it, now you know. So. Yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really good, the Reading Women Challenge and and things like that requiring people to come together over different things instead of just catering to the one thing that, you know, someone might like. That goes back to your comment about we don't have one reader in mind. All right, so speaking of, like, expanding your reading profile, you know, the, the books and types of genres that you read, how do you choose the books that you feature on the podcast? Is that, are they recommended to you, um, or do you find them organically yourselves, or, or what does that come from? 
So in the beginning, it was definitely books that we'd either already read or from our backlist. And as we've continued doing the podcast, it's more and more new books, just because we want to keep in touch with what's coming out now and what's happening currently. In addition to featuring books by women, we try within that selection to have a diverse selection of voices within that category. So that's very intentional on our part. Yeah, and I think, you know, we went through our backlists, and and that's another reason why contributors have been so great is because now they're bringing on their backlists. Um, And then there's a lot of backlists because sometimes there are specific themes, like we're doing the Partition of India here in a couple months. And uh, there aren't a lot of books available in the United States by women about the Partition of India. And so Samaya so had this entire great list. Some of them were available in India only or whatever. And so that also depends, like, the availability. Because we also want it to be accessible on audio and ebook, and in multiple countries. Yes. And accessibility for formats is something that we also try to pay attention to. Because, as Kendra mentioned, you know, we want to try to have all the discussion books be on an audiobook, if possible, and ebook and available nationwide because we do have an international listenership. Yes. It's been really interesting to see that because we don't really have a ton of stats on our episodes because podcasting stats are notoriously terrible. Um, but on Instagram, uh, actually 50% of our listenership is outside of the U.S. Yeah. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah. You uh, said earlier, Autumn, that the, the diversity is something that you guys have been thinking about since day one, but you guys also were mentioning how adding contributors and three years on, like the the way you think about which books, um, accessibility, um, audience audience interest, uh, demographics, like you think about these things more because they're becoming more and more things to think about. How do you guys uh, talk about diversity when you're picking out books? How much is the, the idea of diversity part of your, your decision process? Um, can you just speak a little bit more about that? So it's a big part of our decision process. We try we try to have at least 50% of the selections every time we offer selections be by women of color. That way we have a wide range of voices represented, and it's not just from one perspective or one place in the world. So that is something that we really care about. And diversity also for us means also including LGBTQ plus people, people from rural areas, people from working class backgrounds, people who have chronic illnesses and are people with disabilities. And so having that broad range of what diversity looks like has been really important because we want women of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds and abilities to also be represented as well because that's what our listenership looks like and that's what women look like. You mentioned something about recommendations. How much does your listenership have a say in shaping the direction of an episode or um, a theme or something like how much of a kind of feedback loop is there between what you guys are producing and the response you're getting from your listeners? We get a lot of feedback from our patrons. So we have a Patreon page where our listeners can sponsor the podcast on a monthly basis based off of what 
they can afford that month. And that has been a huge part of the growth of this podcast, not just financially, which it has done, because as we mentioned at the beginning, we were paying for everything out of our pocket. And there are a lot of behind the scenes expenses for just equipment and hosting and all mailing stuff out. Like every giveaway that we host ourselves, we have to mail it ourselves. And so even things like that. And another part of that has been that the patrons have, we talked to them about, okay, what are you interested in? That's how um, we started featuring romances because of Agata is like a huge romance fan. And she was like, hey, I would really love to see more recommendations around this or, you know, so things like that. So that's probably our biggest feedback loop. We do get DMs all day, every day with (laughs) all kinds of comments and things. And, you know, some of those recommendations do make their way into the podcast or at least into a newsletter or maybe we read it and then post about it on Instagram later. So it all kind of comes together eventually in one way or another. Yeah. And I think also paying attention to the BookTurnet community, whether that's Bookstagram, BookTwitter, just being aware of the discussion. So, for example, there's been a lot of discussion about own voices for several years now. Um, I remember Joss, uh, she has a booktube channel called Squibbles Reads, and she's really the first person that introduced me to the concept of own voices and what that looks like in literature and different ways that it can be represented. And that's also why we had Samaya do recommendations for Ramadan reading this year. You know, so she's a Muslim woman and recommended some amazing books, and we got really, really positive feedback from that. So you in some ways have kind of an international podcast that spans the globe at this point, which is pretty cool. But is that, you know, we're going back to your origins and and starting off, you know, is that something you ever could have imagined? Is that something you were hoping for? Was that a goal or was that just totally out of unexpected? We didn't even think anyone would listen. (laughs) It it was like (laughs) Sam and my mom. Yeah. (laughs) And my sister. And that was about it. I listened to an episode. (laughs) (laughs) We were thinking about the ways that we had changed as people over reading more about women. And we thought about people like us who might not have made that change to reading more diverse voices. Desmond Ward was a huge part of that for us. Which is why we, you know, preach the gospel of Desmond Ward continuously <laughs> all day, every day. And uh, so we thought about that person, and but now instead of thinking about that person, it's now all of the different people. And I think if you're going to promote diverse books, I think that's a natural progression. Is that you have a wider range of people who see themselves in the books that you recommend and look to you for recommendations, or look to our contributors for recommendations. So kind of switching from talking about the books more to talking about the podcast, um, obviously this is my, my first time, so I'm kind of learning <laughs> what it's like to record, but how, how how much time does this, like recording a podcast, editing a podcast, posting, like how much time does that take? Well, depending on um, how much we have our <laughs> act together that day, a 40-minute episode can take anywhere from 50 minutes to an hour and a half to actually record it yeah and then also there's a lot of work that goes into like for example an interview because you read the book and then you write questions yeah so then after that i don't know how much time does it take you to edit an episode um it takes me uh probably an easily 
easily an hour every 10 minutes. If someone has more verbal clutter, it could take me twice as long. So the longest episode I ever edited was the one where we introduced all the contributors because those were all recorded separately and I merged them together and had to sync everything and that took 10 to 15 hours, I think, to edit. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yep. And then on top of that, we create the show notes, make a page for the website, take all the social photos, write all the copy for the photos. We also have spreadsheets and spreadsheets of spreadsheets. Spreadsheets of spreadsheets. Um, and folders and folders and folders. So the poor contributors had to be introduced to the Warren that is our Google Drive. I yes. was going to say, when you get two people who are <laughs> obsessed with organization, like you're going to get a, an impressive <laughs> network of... It is a well-oiled machine. It's like, I just need a trash folder so I can throw things I don't know where to put in and I'll deal with them later. And I was like... I'll do a fancy name. Production. Just put them well, all Well, that's in there. what that is. <laughs> <sighs> it's my junk drawer. <laughs> Everyone has one. Wow. Not me. Not I me. Say, mm. I don't have one. <laughs> so, my junk drawer is incredibly organized. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so somewhere in there you also have to read the books. Do you have a process? like Going the- through all the different library apps. Is it available on audio on this one? No. Go to the next one. So that's one thing, too, is we have been asked before, like, how can you afford all the books? And the truth of the matter is is we we can't really. Um, So we do rely heavily on our local libraries for getting especially audio books because audio is a great way for us to sneak in. Well, Kendra listens to a lot of audiobooks because of her chronic illness, but I also use them to, like, while I'm running errands or while I'm on my lunch break at work or something like that, just to fit in a little more reading time during the day. But I know I don't have a reading schedule. I just try to block out time to read when I can and fit in as much as I can. I'm going to jump in here as someone that lives with you and say that... You do, you don't have a formal reading schedule, but I definitely know, you know, when we're under the gun production wise, <laughs> when you're like, Josh, tonight I cannot watch TV. I have to read 150 pages before anything else happens. Yeah. And she has her little bookmark, you know, 150 pages out, and she's like, come back come back in two hours and I should be okay and I just go do something else. Exactly. <laughs> at that point you just kind of walk away right. and go sit down at your laptop or go grab your own book but you just make yourself unseen and unheard. That's right. So we read a lot of books. How can you guys tell when we really like a book? Not just like a book but like Minjin Lee level obsession. <laughs> See, I feel like by the end of the year, I kind of know what the shortlist is going to be, <laughs> just because it's the ones that I've heard mentioned over and over again. And like we, we'll go into Barnes and Noble, and I'll be like, "Oh, you've read that one." So we'll play the game. You go into Barnes and Noble. I've read that one. I've read that one. I've read that one. So <laughs> That's I, my favorite. we go in, and I'll be like, "All right, let me see which ones you've read. This one was a favorite. You hated this one. This one was okay." And, and that's. Yeah, it's just the ones that you talk about. It's kind of like how you know when my baseball team is playing terribly. <laughs> That's a current chronic existence yeah, for them right I know. now. I'm I know. sorry, honey. <laughs> oh, that was touching. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. When it comes 
to seeing which books Autumn likes, um, it, it's the litmus test of whether or not if I'm if I want to watch TV or want to go do something, whether or not she how easily she agrees to do something else. If she likes a book, she'll be like, mm, no, I just want to read tonight. And I know that reading takes a lot of energy. And after working all day and then wanting to read all night, it's it that must mean that the book's really good. I know that the book's not so good when she's like, yeah. Well, but I think I also, if I really, really, really like a book, I'll just put it on your book pile. That's true. <laughs> He's I've been recommended 10 million books to read in the last year. I'm pretty sure that's that's the rough number. I was like, I, th- I think as soon as we finished our interview with Soraya Shamali, I just took my copy and said, here, Josh, for you. And I'll be like, no, Samuel, for real. For real this time. This is a book for you. Yeah, but with Kira Madden's book, you said the same thing. You're like, I think you'd really like this. Yeah. And... I'm just like, well, let's put it in a pile. The pile keeps growing. (laughs) The post-graduation pile. That's right. (laughs) So when could you guys tell that it was going from just a hobby that we were enjoying doing to something more full-time? I think when author interviews started to really become part of the fiber of the show... Um, which was really exciting, but it also ratcheted up the kind of um, need to take it. It wasn't that you guys weren't taking it seriously. It was like, oh, this is this is real. Like, like we're here. Like people are listening to this, and we're inviting authors on to talk. That that's that was awesome. Um, and that was when I kind of was struck by the fact that um, as much as this was a, a pet project at the beginning, it became quickly a platform for. Uh, much more than just, you know, two friends getting together to talk about something. Yeah, definitely. I think the um, I think the author interviews were a big part of it, especially when I was like, oh, yeah, I, I saw that author's book on, you know, being promoted somewhere. Um, so I think that was definitely a part of it. Uh, I think for me, too, when we started getting the UPS man showing up at our house like every single day (laughs) and Dylan started to recognize the sound of the truck and lose his mind when the truck comes rumbling down the road because he knows the UPS man is going to stop and drop off a box that I can shred. And he will pet me and say, hi, Dylan, how are you? Yeah, so just like the sheer number of books coming to the house and I was just like... Oh, wow, okay. Trash bags of envelopes. Somebody loves you. Yeah, <laughs> r- right. Yesterday when we got here, the UPS man drove by and didn't stop, and Dylan could not figure out why he wasn't coming to the door. <laughs> and, I, and and I think it was Kendra who said, you know, well, he usually does, and Dylan's going, what's happening right now? <laughs> so what is something that maybe you all have learned about women writers and women in publishing since we started the podcast? I think just the first thing that comes to my mind is how much resistance, both implicit and explicit, there is about, you know, focusing on women's writing and also the kind of difficulty that you, you guys kind of started the whole podcast, you know, around, which was, hey, where are all the women writers that, you know, we weren't taught and things like that. Just 
Like there's, it's not that they're hidden, but it's that they're kind of hidden. I, I don't know how else to ex- express it. Ignored. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Ignored. Sure. So I think I think the big thing for me was just the sheer number of women being published right now. Gr- growing up, I read a lot of classical fiction, and didn't really read a whole lot of contemporary um, writing until really post college when I finally started reading it for fun and started looking at our well what's being published now and just the, being kind of overwhelmed by the sheer number of women who are being published I mean that's in a, in a good way um, but I think that was kind of the the big thing that I learned through the podcast um, do you guys feel that you're reading process or practice or the way you think about reading not just how but the way you read has that changed in the last three years um, can you articulate? like how it's different? Um, I would say definitely there was a big discussion about this over on BookTube. And for me, I think it's recognizing that different books do different things. So it was about how, you know, I gave five stars to a middle reader and I gave five stars to a Zadie Smith novel. Are they both the same? No. No, they are not. They are doing different things. <laughs> uh, graphic novel is going to do something different. And I think poetry is going to do something different. And how there's no singular perfect book that exists in the universe. There's no singular ideal. And how you have to be flexible in that. And you're looking at the book for what it's trying to do, not for what you want it to be. And so recognizing that by reading a wide range of new genres has been really fun and really challenging. And just it's like um, doing just the fun part of grad school. (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely say that's true. And I think the more that I read, the more nuanced how I think about how I review books becomes. Because you can't expect every five-star book to look the same. Because, as Kendra said, books do different things. And I think different authors and different perspectives are also going to be different depending on their experiences. So it's not just, do I like or not like this book? Which I think is how I used to review books. But now it's like, what was the author trying to accomplish? And how has this changed maybe challenge some of my assumptions or how has this made me think differently about a group of people that I hadn't thought about before or, you know, more along those lines. So it's definitely gotten more nuanced the more that I read. And like that, that kind of fallacy of, is this book important? That's the kind of like white male canon fallacy. (laughs) And it it just makes you realize, um, and the podcast makes me think about this more that, significance and importance are 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 relative in many ways and it's usually do i think this is important yes. Yeah. Yeah. does this speak to me so here on reading women with our interviews uh, we typically like to ask some fun questions at the end so we wanted to continue that for you too so uh what books by women would you two lovely gentlemen like to recommend um, well, I guess I'll go first. Um, so I am a huge, well, I, I like nonfiction and fiction, but I am a huge nonfiction fan. Um, I tend to have to make sure that I'm reading fiction and kind of add it in intentionally. Whereas nonfiction, I'm like, yes, I will read an expose of 1804 
in whatever location. That sounds fascinating. So I'm gonna go nonfiction here. I really love Laura Hillenbrand's writing. Seabiscuit and Unbroken are her two probably most famous um, works, and they are just phenomenal. She's when I listened to Seabiscuit on audio, I had to pause and I kept having to go back because I just wanted to listen to someone read that sentence again because it was just so incredibly well written. Like, her Facebook posts deserve Pulitzers. <laughs> she's just incredible. And, like, she's the one person that I read that consistently, you know, no matter what she's writing, whether it's an article, because she does write a ton of articles for newspapers um, and magazines, or, like I said, a Facebook post or one of her actual books. Like, I just read it and I just go, that sentence could not have been constructed more perfectly. I think as a pure writer, like the ability to construct a, a perfect sentence, I don't think there's really anyone better. And I, I just love her writing. And the fact she's writing about history, which is utterly fascinating and should be to everyone, <laughs> um, is just so wonderful. And I think even if you don't like history, she's just such a good writer that you're like, this is incredible. Like, I don't, I never cared about horse racing. Like, I watched the Kentucky Derby twice, maybe growing up, and I read Sea Biscuit, and I was like, "I am invested in horse racing, and this is my life now." <laughs> <laughs> and also, she's an author with a chronic illness. She has is what was formerly known as chronic fatigue syndrome. So the fact that she is able to do that, I mean, she's very important to me as as a person, and that was something that we bonded over. Also, I want to note that this was one of the few books that he bought more than one edition of. We have two editions of Sea Biscuit. We have a special collector's edition and a regular one. I'm so proud. You pulled a Kendra. I did. I would probably get multiple versions of Unbroken, too, if they had them yet. They have sure a young sure reader's edition, Samuel. How do you have a young reader's edition of that story? Like, you can't write half that story for a young reader. That's why it's half the <laughs> length, like, Samuel. It's like 20 pages. <laughs> How about you, Josh? To me, an author who whose work I've been reading a lot of um, and has just really been enjoyable is Maxine Hong Kingston. Her debut book, The Woman Warrior, Memoirs of a Girlhood Among Ghosts, um, published in the late 70s, um, is just exceptional. It's just one of the best things I've ever read. And as an academic, I like to see how things influence other things. And I know that that book opened the floodgates to allow Asian American women writers to have kind of authority in our culture, which is still something that they're, of course, struggling to have. But hers kind of was the debut in that way. But I also like the fact that even though the book has the word memoirs in the subtitle, Kingston is really invested in writing a book that both borrows heavily or pulls heavily from her own experiences while also fusing fictional techniques and mythology from uh, Chinese tradition and culture to create this really complex, to weave this really complex fabric. It's just very, very good, in my opinion. <laughs> All of her work is very good, and it's also very different, because the next volume is called China Men, or playing off the euphemism that was used to stereotype Chinese uh, immigrants, and it is all about 
the first volume, Woman Warrior, is all about the women in his in her family, and the second volume is all about the men. And then from there, she writes a whole other different type of work, and she just continues to reinvent herself over the 40 years she's been writing. So, And I know that she was at a writing conference a couple of months ago, so she's still active in the writing community um, and continues to just kind of be an inspiration for a lot of people. So what books have you guys picked up because of the podcast? Um, the first one that comes to me, mind for me is Salvage the Bones. Um, I'm so proud. Like you, like <laughs> I'm you, not surprised. <laughs> well, like you said earlier, you talk about Jesmyn Ward quite a bit, and that one, to me, um, I think that's probably the first one I picked up strictly because of the podcast um, and strictly because of how much you talked about it. And it was really pretty phenomenal. Um, I really loved it. Um, I haven't. I, I need to read more Jasmine Ward. That so far, that's the only one I've read. Um, but it was really, really great, um, and I, I really loved reading that one and just hearing that story. And it goes back to hearing a story that you've heard so much, but from a different perspective. Like you've heard about. I mean, everyone knows about Hurricane Katrina, but then hearing about it from from a new perspective um, was really good. So I'm struggling to find and think of one that I have read right away from the podcast, but there is this kind of like conversation because a lot of my favorite um, female authors were read early on in the podcast's kind of rotation. So Marilyn Robinson. Marilyn Robinson, Wait, whose you... work I'm working through, and then Zadie Smith and um, go ahead. And Tony Did you Morrison. read Wise Blood? I did read Wise Blood. I think, I yeah, I read Wise Blood after the podcast. I put it on my I put it on my examination list because <laughs> probably because uh, it wasn't just the podcast. It was also for you, Autumn. Uh, I know it's one of your you, favorites. You can get you can get double points for that. That's fine. <laughs> so we'd like to thank Sam Winchester and Josh Primitt for coming on the podcast. Thank you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. To subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, please visit readingwomenpodcast.com. And be sure to join us next time when we will be discussing working class stories for our birthday month. And meanwhile, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.